Howdy, y'all. How we doing? Let's talk about Cosmetic real quick. Cosmetic is a super cool company. They have been very kind to the show. They've allowed us to do some uh, really cool stuff with some merch uh, that they have sponsored for us. Uh, we just made uh, we just made an order of uh, t-shirts, koozies, and coffee mugs that I'll tell you guys about later, tell you how you can get them, but Cosmetic made that happen, made it a thing, and I appreciate them a lot. So let me tell you about them. Cosmetic is a topical CBD company. Their products, their hip pain cream, help you ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis. It provides immediate relief by combining the powerful regenerative properties of CBD with other active botanical ingredients. Each bottle of Cosmetic hemp pain cream is packed with 400 milligrams of their patented water-soluble CBD Ensuring maximum absorption. Be kind to your skin and head over to causemedicated.com, C A U S E medicated.com, and use the South of Scruffy promo code SOS20 and get 20% off of your entire order. All right, South of Scruffy podcast, here we go. Welcome in, guys. Thank you for joining me, South of Scruffy podcast. I am Ben Fields. I am the host of this podcast, this particular podcast, and none others. This is the only one. So thanks for listening. I really appreciate it a lot. I have Will Wright on the show today. You know Will. You know Will from uh, Lil Iffy. Uh, you know him from Peak Physique. And you know him from Sinryu. Uh, Peak Physique is uh, the band that he's in with Matt Honkinen, who was my first guest. Uh, they talked, uh, or Matt talked a little bit about that. Will expands on it some. Uh, Sinryu is Will's band that he's had for a long time that he's uh, continues to play with, and they continue to crush it. Will has also composed a piece of music that the Scruffy City Orchestra will be performing on May 1st at Sacred Heart Cathedral. The name of that project uh, is Childhood is the Kingdom Where Nobody Dies. Will dug into that with me, and that is a fascinating project. Will has always been a guy that uh, has been mysterious to me because I've always gone to see him as, as a little iffy. I've been a huge Peak Physique fan since they started. Uh, and I've, I've gone and I've seen Will, and he's always seemed like this super introverted guy who uh, was just mysterious to me. I always knew he was very creative, and I always knew that he left it all on the stage when he played and provided a lot of really awesome experiences for everybody. Will is continuing to do that. Um, with with Peak Physique, Sinryu, and then the orchestra too. So I'm super excited that he he sat down to talk to me and that and that you guys uh, get to hear it. He brought some tea with him, some uh, some homemade kind of concoctions. Uh, it, it was delicious. Um, I didn't have any lucid dreams, which I was really hoping for, uh, but the tea was fantastic. And um, there's a trip hanging out with him, man. A really sweet man, awesome guy. I'm so glad to know him. And um, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to get to know him here, too, a little bit. All right, guys, here we go. Will Wright. What's, what's in this tea? The only thing in here that kind of, like, stirs the brain is mugwort. It's the Crohn's wort. Cool. Yeah. Everything else is just, it's all pretty common stuff. Okay. It just kind of, I've been kind of tweaking it so that it would, uh, most of it tastes like poison. <laughs> <laughs> This does not. Uh, so you're trying to make it make it drinkable? Oh yeah, what I'm trying to do, yeah, I'm trying to bring it to a bigger audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, thanks for being here. Well, I'm appreciate happy to. Yeah. yeah, appreciate you coming. 
Like I had your boy Matt on, Matt Honkinen. He's the best. I uh, yeah. saw him yesterday. Yeah. I watched him eat a big, gross bowl full of wet fish. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got he's finished. I think they get kicked out of the club if they don't eat something gross that comes out of the ocean at least once every couple weeks. Like herring, like big jar full of salted herring. <laughs> yeah, what's he called? Like marmy or something like that. <laughs> it's always yeah. Every time you see like a Nordic culture documentary that you have to watch at least one person eat some kind of mashed fish <laughs> you can smell it through the television yeah that's right yeah <laughs> what have you been doing man what's uh what's keeping you busy these I, uh, days gosh i am um well we just did wayne stock just did a cinder show at wayne stock i do i don't do a lot of rock and roll these days and so when i do i usually just kind of like kind of barf all over the stage it was this yeah it was like a big kind of emotional like meltdown but it was it was like a good one you know that's it's always been a cathartic yeah rock and roll is always where i've gone for kind of a that's my release music yeah everything a lot of the stuff that i do is real like a real cerebral creative experience but you know rock and roll has always been kind of a full like the only kind of full body kind of Primal experience. A way to get all your wiggles out? All my wiggles. Yeah. Yeah. Sister, they're children. <laughs> What's they Wayne to. Stock? Wayne Stock is, uh, so 10 years ago, um, my friend Wayne Bledsoe, who was a longtime music writer for the paper, his son suddenly died. And um, and so we, uh, me and Steve Wildsmith from the Daily Times and uh, a couple of people pulled this concert together to just, because we didn't know what to do. You know, like, it was such a you know his his son was in his twenties and just oh, it just man. just just dropped dead and oh, um man. yeah it was and I'd never hurt for anybody like that yeah. you know I had lucky you know lucky at the at the time especially I just hadn't experienced a lot of of loss but this is one of you know like one of the best people I know you know and we were just like you know the only thing we have to offer really yeah. <laughs> is our music yeah and so we put together this you know this um big local concert and it was everybody you want you know it was v-roy's guys and you know there was old schoolers and some really good newer bands and and uh it was packed it was like just it was just everybody came there and like lifted him and his family up it's awesome. and it was yeah it was it was one of the most you know it was, and it was such a heavy it was such a heavy exp- experience because like i said the those shows for me, because Sinru, Sinru played that first one, and you know that's the music where I kind of, I do sort of invest my yeah I have a lot of emotional investment in the content you know and I kind of I do sort of deal deal with things in those songs right and so you know I had a lot of close relatives that were starting to get get older and I had you know I'd written all these songs about the you know the the anxiety of knowing like the life cycle is finite yeah. you know and so suddenly this person that I cared about so much was facing this, you know, this unimaginable loss. And so all these songs that I had written about that were sort of kind of, you know, the luxury of hypothetical, you know, exploration. Right. I've got all these songs about loss and devastation. And suddenly, you know, at that show, they all kind of became qualified for me. And I was, you know, it was just such a, and it was such a, uh, I just felt, busted open you know just kind of like cut cut open by the whole thing in a good way you know just to see that 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 much pain turned into that much love and resilience you know and he 
you know? He was, he, you know, reluctant at first, of course, because you're going through so much, and suddenly you've got these people that were like, we want to do this show, we want to yeah. put your name on it. And But once we got there, and, you know, he saw that it wasn't focused on a death as much as it was a celebration, not just of his son's life, but also his life's work, which right. was to unify this music scene and to elevate all these groups. And every band that played was a group that he had invested his own talent and his own platform. By covering? Yeah. And, to, and, and just to, about writing about them and yeah. about trying to connect them and, and, and guide them with his radio. You know, he has a radio show on WDVX as well. And, um, and he's always throughout, you know, as long as I've, I've known of him, used every tool in his tool chest to lift other people up right. and to help guide their careers. Yeah. And so... So you guys got to honor him? Oh, yeah. And everyone everyone that was on that stage had a career in part because of his work. And, awesome. and And it was such a... Yeah, it was just lightning in a bottle. Every single set was just fiery and motivated and... uh and so we just kept doing it. And so this was the tenth the tenth one was this year. Really? And, and they got a bunch of the people that played the first one to do it again. And every That's year cool. there's a big uh a beneficiary. You know, sometimes it's girls rock camp and some you oh, know, cool. if, if someone in the music scene yeah. has a like a if something bad happens to somebody. Yeah. The fundraiser. We, yeah, we just take yeah. the money and give it you know, like we give yeah. it to them and try to help them get on their feet, you know. And it's always just been just a special a special way to use yeah, because it is as much as you know, as as much as Wayne uses his power to elevate people, that audience, you know, in this town, in our, our in our scene, you know, we're lucky to have kind of a uniquely um, proportioned music community where we have enough opportunity. We're small enough where we can all kind of do our thing, you know, and and we have an audience and we have a community here that that will show up. You know, if somebody's really putting their back into it and, and doing something that they believe in, people will show up. And so it all it's all this 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 ecosystem, you know, that that, you know, especially that first year, we really saw that whether you're a fan or a promoter or a venue or or a band or whatever that organism all coming together is so powerful yeah. even even you know we're such a small town you know it's like as big as a town as small as a city can be <laughs> but even our like whatever it is that we have here and i like to feel like it's special but everybody thinks their crow is the blackest but <laughs> like the thing we have here is is powerful you know and we learned that first year that we could once a year we could get together and we could focus the beam on something that needed help. That's really cool, man. And we're really proud of it. it should really, be, it sounds like. Yeah. So, Sinryu played? We did. We uh I guess we played 4 of them, 4 of the okay. 10. And uh And you but you've been involved in all 10 of them somehow? Yeah, in some way. I've well MC some years oh, and cool. yeah. I've, you know, Peak Physique has also played it and then if he played it once as like an after party cuz it is kind of an all ages deal, yeah. but like it's always, you know, but these, you know, these are all my friends. You know, it's like, yeah. it always feels like a huge, like, family reunion, 
And it's such a like it's a crazy party yeah. and everybody loves each other and it's it's really something else. You're pretty plugged in around here. Did you grow did you grow up in Knoxville? I grew up about an um well, I was in Oak Ridge until I was nine. And then my mom got um remarried and we moved to this like little farming community about a, an hour west. Um it's a little community called Westall, which is okay. the, it's like the edge of the plateau. Okay. And that's really, um, that's probably how I end up, in the grand scheme of it, I end up being a musician because I was, to that point, I had sort of been raised by old women and um, who had made me real soft. And so <laughs> we... Just we, your mom or mom and grandma? It was my what? mom's mother and her sister. Okay. And But then, they, you know, they had 10 brothers and sisters who were kind of always around. So I was just... I was always flanked by like old people that were would treat me like a Faberge egg, you know. I was just like very taken care of yeah. and very pan- like not spoiled, but everyone was always really worried and like really took care of me, like Bubble Boy. Yeah. And so, so <laughs> gotta some, take care of this one. He's oh, important, <laughs> man. I was only child to that point as well. I was gotcha. like, I was just, and I was you know, again like probably naturally soft. I don't want to give them too much nah, credit. Come on, <laughs> but uh, but I uh, so suddenly I find myself thrust into the woods and so my options were to go outside with the snakes or <laughs> stay inside and learn how to play instruments yeah. and so i just i picked the music so so that was when you were nine you moved yeah. you moved out there so your parents raised you in oak ridge up through yeah that was, point together was, and then it was my mom it was i spent a lot of time with my my grandmother and her sister well my mom was doing uh nursing school and oh, cool. uh yeah, and so uh, it was. It was really me and the kind of a trio, a trio of ladies, and yeah. um, and I appreciate that because I I feel like nurtured your sensitive side probably for sure, but also yeah, I mean you know later in life you know I want you want to I feel like it equipped me to be a better husband you know and I feel like it equipped me to be a better better sure kind of a better member of society um kind of in general because you get this slightly deeper and i don't i don't you know i'm not glad that i wasn't i didn't have like prominent male figures or anything mm-hmm. like that but uh you figure you figure that piece of it out you know but i feel like if there's one thing especially in the modern world that dudes can use as a as much perspective as possible you know because <laughs> yeah. because those other people that we share the world with are like even just by their physiology life is a labor, you know, and the kid, you know, the world we live in was kind of structured by dudes. And so, you know, any perspective that you can have, I think on the, on the, on the female experience or how to, you know, just how to exist in a way that makes room for everybody. I feel like it's, I agree with that. Yeah. And so I really, I really appreciated that extra dose of that because, you know, like I said, I, I think it's tough, you know, it's 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 tough to, you know, it's tough to co- to cobble that perspective together later on, you know. And so, well, it's like learning a language. It's really easy when you're two. Yeah, you know? exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> after you know after you already know a different one, it's hard to learn, you know, a new language. It's hard to learn a new language when you're 30. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, it's it's old dog. Yeah. But um yeah, so, so we moved down there and uh and I had a, you know, I had a, a fine, you know, a small town experience through high school. I, you know, the learning music to 
protect myself from coyotes folded <laughs> and snakes. Yeah, it's, it was so. I mean, like there were the we lived Westall. Yeah, we had a beautiful place though. It was like on the and it's like on the built into the edge of a cliff that overlooks this like epic valley, and it was a pretty magical childhood. But there we did have like a a really at least for a few years like an incredibly high population of rattlesnakes. <laughs> That's not good. It's not great. No. Yeah, and, um, and so I, for somebody that was already pretty soft and really having a lot of, ex- <laughs> I was really interfacing with the the outside world for the first time. I, yeah. it, it was a it was a weird fit. Yeah, but, but you know, all that folds into marching band in high school, and that brings me to Knoxville. And and you know, what high school did you go to? Rockwood. So we oh, yeah. down the mountain. Yeah, and um. But yeah, it was great. It was, I mean, it was a, it's a teeny tiny school in a, in a tiny town. And yeah. And then you went to college at the university. I did. Tennessee, I, played yeah. marching band. Pride yeah. of the Southland. Pride of the Southland. I, uh, awesome. it was a weird experience cause I, um, I wasn't planning to go to a university cause I was a, I really, you know, I, maybe I had like burnout or something. I could read all night. I could absorb anything unless I had to, or, you know, like, School was always kind of a challenge just because I couldn't get excited about it. You know, I because loved, you didn't want to do it? Well, I didn't want to. Or somebody was making you do well, it? Well, I love to learn things, but our school is kind of focused on, like, not a lot of people were going to go to college. And so yeah. a lot of it was, was, it didn't feel, it didn't seem, it didn't feel like it was designed to stimulate me exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I had been real average. You know, I would just, I'd show up and make the grades, but I hadn't really gotten any kind of academic fire set under me. And so I was just going to go to Roan State, like in Rockwood there, and yeah. just kind of figure it out, mm-hmm. save a little money. Yeah. And then on a, I'd gotten, I got really, like, I was really passionate about band though. Even though we had a really small, really kind of struggling band program, I had done, I had done all right in there. And I had gotten a couple of, like, a, like a merit award, like a John Philip Sousa, like, national award for yeah, whatever I remember and so, those yeah and so i uh my band director suggested that i go up and try out for the band at ut and i was like i've barely even at this point you know i was virtually self-taught you know playing the what in drums the yeah, drums and the drum line in the band yeah and then mallets and stuff in the springtime but oh, cool. you know it was like it felt like such a, it's like go to New York and travel for the Rockettes or, you know, like, right. oh, you want to be an astronaut? Well, let's go to Cape Canaveral and see if they got any seats, <laughs> open seats on the rocket. <laughs> That's what like, it felt like to go to the Pride of the Southland? Well, for from, from, from us, Rockland? I mean, we're a graduating class of like 40, you know, yeah. like nobody, like half of us are pregnant and like yeah. most of us will be in jail in a couple weeks. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and for somebody that had like no, you know, no plans or, or idea how to go to an actual school. Like, I, you know, I didn't really feel like I'd gone to a school. Everyone's just, they're just kind of trying to get everybody through so sure. they can get to work. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, you know, like at least I'll get to go up and kind of see what the inside of the building looks like. And so <laughs> while, while I'm trying out, and then, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'll go up, they'll say no, they'll be like, they'll look where I went to school and they'll say no, you know, they'll hear me play and they'll say no. And then we'll go to Roan state and figure out, you know, whatever. Yeah. And instead I went up and, you know, and that day I just kind of, resign myself to the fact that I, I know that I like I love music a lot at this point I'm you know like this is something I'm really passionate about and, and something that you know the the staff motivates me and like the looking you know like the notes on the page excite me in a way that other things don't 
And I decided instead of being a, like a knucklehead about it and being just instead of deciding that my like small town ass was was just going to go up and be a tourist, that I was going to go up and I was going to play as hard as I could mm-hmm. and just whatever, like kind of leave it all on the field. And I made it. And, so, and you so, made it into the band. I made it. And so like uh, I was shocked. Like my parents were a, a mixture. I mean, they're huge Tennessee sports fans, and so. They, they were a mixture of, of of course, elated, but also s- suddenly aware of the fact that they now had to cobble together the money for <laughs> the money for a four year school. And because, <laughs> yeah, because we, we had no plans for a four year school, and right. suddenly, uh, you know, there was no question about whether or not I would go, even though I had no idea. I had never written an essay; like, I'd never been required to write an essay in mm-hmm. high school, and so. I'm suddenly heading into like a major university. A good one too. A good, a great one. Yeah. And so I did. And so I came up, you know, and I, uh, I had no idea how to be a student. Uh, there were no, you know, I did. I I flew through high school with no expectations and and made okay grades. Yeah. And uh, suddenly everything was really hard and confusing, but the band experience was amazing. Um. But so I just tried to stick as close to the music building as I could, you know, and I I tried, you know, I got into the music composition program and, you know, I just hung out until I ran out of money and then I went on to start a rock and roll band yeah. <laughs> and like dropped out. Did you graduate? <laughs> nah. No. Yeah. Um, I, I, you're it, majoring in music though? Yeah, I was doing composition. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I learned things that I use all the time, you know, and I, if, if I could go, because I was a bad student, you know, like, because I didn't know what to do, you know, all the, all the preparation that's supposed to come never came. And so uh, it was much too late to learn to be a good student. But Academia is hard for creative people, I feel like. Yeah, it can be. I feel like, I feel like if I had gone to a better high school, I mean, I love that school and I, you know, I love the people there and stuff like that. But as there was far a as, big gap when you got to college. Yeah, there were, I just, because I think I also kind of enjoyed the low expectations, to be honest, as, mm-hmm. as a teenager. And so, bare minimum getting by and it's easy. Yeah. Easy is like, it's hard not to enjoy when things are easy. But I do, you know, I do have regret just because. What I'm, you know, what you learn as an adult composer is that when you're in a university, you are surrounded by great musicians who will play your stuff, and you can, you know what I mean. And you have nothing to do but write music. You have no one, <laughs> no one expecting anything. No one expects you to to be at work. All you have to do, if you're in, you know, a college composing curriculum, is you're expected to come in and learn all this stuff. You know, like if I could spend all day now reading books about counterpoint and oh uh, you know go in and all of these people play you know whatever some weird instrument that I want to write something for instead of having to go out into the world and finding, find that person yeah, yeah. they're surrounded by them and so yeah. your resources are really good in a university like that university setting yeah and so because I wasn't a great student I feel like I missed I missed on that and I feel like at some at some point in my life I'll be like the 60 year old dude who re enters, like, a, <laughs> and I just want to, I'm yeah, That's a good, it sounds like a good retirement to me if I could just go and just spend a couple of years just disappear into a composing program. Finish it up. Yeah, maybe to finish it up just to kind of do it, you know, like I could care less about the 
the paper, but I just the idea of that being your life structure to me is just that to me is so provocative. You know, like yeah, that sounds really great to me. I think you should do it, and it's on it's on the record now, so you might be held to it a little bit. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I I, I do think it will happen. <laughs> I I do hope that this turns into extra pressure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> um. So was Sinri of the band that you started right out of school? Yeah, and cool. one, yeah, me and one of the um one of the other drummers in the marching band started it, and he's still in it today. How many people are in that outfit? Five. Five of them? Uh, it's, yeah, there's been some changeover over the years, but <clears throat> we started it together. And, and, and yeah, I mean, if, if one of us, obviously, like, it would be tough to run the band without me, but if he ever left, I probably would figure out. Hang him up? Yeah, I mean, uh, or just or figure no. out a way to morph it into something oh, else. Oh, you'd keep going? I don't know. It's hard yeah. to say because I can't even imagine it. It's your baby, though. Yeah, it, yeah. it was my first, my first blush. Yeah. How, yeah. how did that start? Just, I lived in kind of like a, a wild college shared space, you mm-hmm. know, in <laughs> Fort Sanders. And uh, it was just a crazy, you know, it's just one of those like absolutely like crazy house that nobody should have even survived. <laughs> but uh, it was good. It was one of those things where it was like, I was I was surrounded by crazy people, but everyone would just wanted to do cool things. And so musicians also? Um some so. musicians, some I guess everyone everyone played some form of music and, or did uh we had a couple of visual artists that came through the house at a point. But uh everyone was just nuts. Because again just like that like rum springer, you know, yeah, like the first yeah. real blast of freedom. Yeah. And um and this was just a huge, like, dirty, you know, like, th- I mean, this is probably, like, a precious antique house that some loser bought and was, like, oh, rented out to college kids. Slumlord. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so this is a huge house with a bunch of just empty rooms, and there's like, possibilities were endless. And so one room was just, like, guy just brought his drums in. I was, like, I knew I wanted, I, I mean, I've been writing songs since I was, like, 11, and um, I knew at a point I just wanted to try it just to see if I was bad at being like a band leader guy. <laughs> and cuz my dad was in bands and my you know my his dad was a guitarist. He would like go play the Grand Old Opry and stuff like that. It's in your blood. It, yeah, and yeah. so like my dad told me that when he was like send me a guitar when I was a kid and he was like, you know, you're probably going to need this. You know. Yeah. And uh, I did, you know, and I have it it's <laughs> at my house now and I've, I I needed it. And um you still play it? Yeah, I play it. I like they played it when I was getting ready for this Wayne Stock show. It's like a red, like taco telly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it 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 clicked right away. It clicked right away, and it, it immediately felt like I probably would be doing it for the rest of my life. And I just turned forty, so for the and you have been relatively <laughs> speaking. Yeah, I mean, we're recording the twentieth record now, and I've been reading about the band for years man it's uh and it's been you know it has been a good experience yeah. it's uh nothing's ever easy uh but i um speaking of wayne bledsoe yeah for the first whatever six probably years of the band i tried to i saw how the bands that i was becoming friends with would kind of they would have tension and all this weird like money makes everybody weird and yeah. chasing fame makes yeah, people weird and so yeah. f- for a long time we t- we tried to s- s- keep that from happening. So when we would do these, um, we would record whatever songs we had, and then 
we would make enough copies to sell them at one show. And that's it? And that's it. And we'd like destroy the files and like that's it. And so No greed here, guys. We don't want the we you know, like there's no money to be made, there's no fame to be chased. Like we're just gonna be in a band and we're gonna I mean we're gonna like we're I wanted it to be a an incredible local band, you know, and so we promoted really hard for a long time. I do not have the the juice for self promotion anymore, but yeah. but we you know, we we built a big community and people, you know, like the people that would come to our shows all felt like they were in the band to me, you know, and then but anyway, so we would so so I basically tried to hide the songs from the world. You know, we would outside of the shows things weren't really very available and yeah. kind of by design because I just didn't ever want I didn't want it to be worth money. You know, I wanted it to be available um face to face. Right. When you came to see it, it was it was yeah. available if you made the effort. Yeah. More than just dialing it up on Spotify. Yeah. Well, yeah, show. there was you know the it 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 mattered that it was a a physical experience to me. You know, it was it was not about it was really about connecting with people and it was about you know, I liked the mystery of it. You know, I wanted people to kind of, you know, I don't I don't want to say regret, but I wanted it to be like I got to go see this show because I won't get another, like, it won't be the same if I, you know, I right. won't, I'm not going to get a copy of this record. They might never play these songs again. You know, I wanted it to, everything always felt kind of electric and kind of special because we kind of, we made it, you know, kind of, it's stressful in a positive way because everything is always ending. Yeah. Or yeah. All, it was always, because it was going to be something new in a couple of weeks when we play again. And Wayne, we went on, um, I had a mutual friend. That's how I met Wayne. A guy from Rockwood actually was friends with Wayne, and he kept trying to link us up. and And when things finally worked out, we went on Wayne's um, radio show, the one that's late at night on Saturdays. Um, and he basically just like chastised me. I mean, like in a, in what felt like to me at the time, I didn't know him that well, but he kind of really like came at me about the fact that the songs weren't available to the world. You know, really? he was like, these are great songs. Had he been to some shows? I get, I mean, he had heard the songs he for sure. He wanted more. Yeah, well, he was like, it's not, he was like, I don't think you're doing, you're not doing a service to these songs. You're like, you're doing a disservice to this really good music. It, you know, his words. Right. And, um, and he basically just insisted, you know, and this was somebody that, I knew, I mean, you know, he's been an important person for a long time here to the music community. Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, like, I respected him before I ever met him. And when somebody like that kind of gets in your face and it's like, he got it, he got the idea, but he was like, there, you know, you can find a balance with this and still let the world hear these songs, you know. And that's really when we pivoted to pressing the albums and we pivoted to, you know, exploring ways to to reach more people than the ones we could stuff into the pilot light, you know, and like yeah, and because of him in a lot of ways, you know, we have you know, my life is fully populated by people who have come to me through the various um musical cha- channels. And my life would be would be a worse place without a lot of the people who found their way in because of listening to his advice. Yeah. You know. How many albums did you guys put out? We're about to do the twentieth one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's it's nuts. It's a great. I mean, <clears throat> and that's that's the proper albums. I'm not sure those like one night only EPs. Yeah, I couldn't tell you because we would just 
because I've always written songs kind of fast and loose. So, you know, we would do a couple weeks of practice and just constantly recording at the space and would just press up 30 copies. And sometimes it would be like the first 30 people through the door just get one. Yeah. And now they're gone. That's awesome. <laughs> and do you ever recording shows? Um, when Dan, um, Dan and Dan McCormick and his brother joined about 11 years ago and he rec- records every, he's one of those guys that is just an archivist. Oh, just a natural <laughs> archivist, a librarian, <laughs> like a true librarian. And, uh, he has recorded every show. That's awesome. He has audio and video of everything we've done. And before that, it is just a total mystery, an undocumented yeah mystery and so which of course like that's my fetish but um new trip with the with all the stuff being out there if you ever want to go back and listen to something is that you ever do that no i don't yeah. i mean i i barely look back um song wise i think when i start to look back i start to slow down yeah and so um i just don't do it i i uh, don't listen once we put stuff out i don't listen to it and uh i just kind of get on yeah you know and 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 once there were other projects cuz sinru was the only thing Period, really, until 2010. Yeah, so what are was, other projects? That, I mean, what did you do after that? I did. Um, well, I was frustrated. Um, I can't remember. We we're coming out of. I get it was. We we're coming out of an album called uh, "The Guilty Party Rages On," and it had people really uh, like had really attached to it, and, and it had sort of a a spike in activity with Sinru, and then I, you know, I got into I guess what you might call like a post-party depression so like yeah. af- after the wave mm-hmm. and the, I just, the hangover the yeah. sophomore slump all that yeah and so i was like i was kind of creatively lost and so in order to kind of try to open up new channels in my mind um i had met this guy that did a lot of electronic production named um tom and uh i had never tried any of that at all it had always been just like guitar demos into band versions and that you know that was my creative process so was it like ableton or was it an 808 it was it was ableton yeah i've always i've always been sort of fascinated and intimidated by solid like outboard gear and stuff like that but this guy was just he made sort of like house inspired like french house inspired really like aggressive dance music Mm. and he was a a friend of a bunch of friends that he he had been a a name in my life much longer than he'd be in person but uh (laughs) so i went over and i can't remember which movie had just come out but i was pretty into like the harry potter um universe yeah not like it's a big world yeah it wasn't like a lifestyle because i have learned since then that it's there are people who are like, oh, I like those. And then there are people who have like a lifestyle. Sure. And so where do uh, you fall on that continuum? Oh, I just liked I mean, I I I liked it as much as I like many books that I've consumed. Yeah. And I yeah. thought the movies were fun. Yeah. But you're not geeking out about it all day, every day. Well, it's at that your... point I hadn't been, mm-hmm. but it became like a something that was sort of more of an occupational um endeavor after that. Because I um yeah, I uh, I hadn't I had always really liked rap music, but of course, there's no reason for me to ever write any. But I was like, you know what? Let's just see what happens, and like, I'll just do one, you know. And as soon as we started, I was like, but I really, you know, I feel really uncomfortable and weird pretending to be like hard, 
And so, like a, like a. So you were rapping, and you felt like a, like imposter syndrome. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's less about that. I was like, dude. I mean, I know I've heard that most most rappers are lying almost all the time. Sure. But yeah. for like a for who I was and in every facet of who I was, I was like, maybe even this is too much of a lie. And so I was like, instead. Maybe I'll just rap about something. I'll just because most of it's wordplay. I was, you know, was the more I when I, you know, I approach rap from a songwriter's lens, it's a lot of wordplay and it's a lot of pop culture referencing. Sure. To say five yeah. or six, there are like five or six rap tropes, and all of it is wordplay and referencing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll just see how much of that I can do just about the Harry Potter universe, and like that'll be. We'll do this one. And we'll share with our friends, and that'll be that. And so, uh, it was just one song. Well, yeah, yeah we, I, we did the one thing. I was just what was it called? Do you remember? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. it's a song that changed my life. Um, <laughs> the whole, literally, the whole course of my life, dog legs at this song, and um, is a song called uh, Patron Us, and um, <laughs> I was so proud of every every dipshit pun in this song, and it's like. Yeah, it's just kind of a, it's got kind of an island, kind of a Neptune's like island beat to it. And uh, it's just a series of Harry Potter puns and, you know, bartender, expecto patronus and like. It had a tequila vibe to it. Exactly, exactly. And it was like completely dumb. It's just, it was like a sugar diet and it's just, it's just like dumb fun. (laughs) And so the plan would just like, we did it and we shared it with our friends and our friends loved it because they're our friends. (laughs) <laughs> and that was, you know, like we had put it on Bandcamp, and like that was that was going to be that. And a couple, like maybe not quite a month later, I got an email through the site from this. Um, it was like a group in New York that were putting on a CMJ like kickoff party. And they what's were like, the CMJ? CMJ. It was a, it's a college. I guess it was College Music Journal. It was like a magazine back cool. then that kept up with what college radios. Yeah. But anyways, they had like a yearly convention where all the venues would have all the like cool parties and all kinds of bands would go to town. But they were like, Hey, we're having this party. We won't, we want you guys to come up and we really like the song. We want you to come up and play our party. And I wrote them back. <laughs> and you have one song. Well, A, we have one song and B, I was like not a rapper. And I was yeah. like, I wrote him back and I was like, we'd love to, if, the, if, if this was really a thing that's really flattering. And they were like, we will pay you. And so I called Tom and I was like, Look, man, I was we've like, really stepped in it this time, Tom. Oh, bro, we just met, and so, anyways, like uh, the problem here is that I'd been touring, you know, and like when I'm home from tour, I was just working like garbage, like food jobs, and um, I'm not, you know, like I'm I'm really just kind of scraping by and making enough money to pay rent and play shows. And it was like this was the first time anybody had been because you'll like book a show and you go and make whatever you make. You know, but I'd never had in my life had anybody reach out and be like, come play. We want to pay you. It's crazy. And I was like, Ugh, Ugh. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I got to write. I got to write about four or five more of these in order to go and get this money. No way. And so I but also I had to call up some friends and be like, hey, uh, I was like, well, you I guys, know you don't rap. Will but- you guys be rappers with me for a little while? <laughs> no kidding. And so I got in touch with Zach Fallon, who was he's and he's a part of everything I do. And he, um, I was like, look, I need you to go on an adventure with me. And so I was like, I'll, I'll do all the work. I just need you to go and kind of be my hype man on this. And so 
It's all so dumb. And like in, in the nuts and bolts of it are so dumb, but it's like so I wrote I wrote out an EP of these songs. I just kind of dug into rap tropes and you know did like this, you know, the sex jam and then there's like a couple of pop ones, a couple of kind of unnecessarily hard ones and uh it's all just the puns. Luckily the Harry Potter universe is so thick with things to reference. Sure. And, so and you were familiar I, with it? Well, I really had to dig in. Oh, like I, I it was okay. stuff that I liked, but I needed enough to stretch it out. And so I write these songs and we go we kind of go to the store and we're like, what are we gonna look like? And so we kind of got some what we thought were like cool guy clothes. <laughs> like we're not I'm not a cool guy. <laughs> and I wear the same thing every day. And so we uh we got on the mega bus wearing our cool guy clothes and we went to New York City dressed in like we just look like idiots. <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies. Oh no, I mean like so much worse than that. Really like what we are wearing looked like the worst Halloween costume. But it's like <laughs> some it looked like if someone it it the it's not anything anyone would ever wear. Because I'm always <laughs> You know, I thought I was trying to be creative about things. So I'll be, you know, rappers wear a lot of chains, but what about a really elaborate brooch? And it's like, no, (laughs) no, no. Um, But anyway, so we, we just look, we, yeah, we look like a practical joke and we get on the mega bus with a bunch of normal people and we go, we go up to New York and we play the show. Had you named the outfit? It was called Lil Iffy because I was like, old white dude rapping about the Harry Potter universe sounds a little iffy to me <laughs> uh, at best. Um, and so we, we go up and we go and we, and we play this show and, and half of the people who watch the show are instantly in it. And then half of them absolutely hate us. And really? it was like, I had, so I've been playing rock and roll for at that point for 10 years and what I had experienced with rock and roll is that there are people who are going to like what you do and then there are people who aren't really moved by it and then they talk through your set or maybe they won't I mean, they not, tolerate it sure I mean you, you, they either like it on some level but it's all casual because it's like I feel like rock and roll is, is pretty accessible and also you know it's it doesn't require much necessarily like you know if it's just a three band bill each band is going to come out and play their songs and you're going to be like mm, I like the drum you know what I mean like it's never it's never going to f- necessarily force you into a new space right and so this thing and I couldn't have anticipated it none of this was on purpose right. you know like I really was I was falling down the steps and so like <laughs> we get on stage and are doing these songs and we're like oh Madame Pomfrey uh, you know like uh Every flavor, uh, and like, I had never experienced the dynamics. You know what I mean? I don't think anything I had ever done, anyone had been bananas about. And so there were people who, from that day forward, were crazy about it. And there were people on Twitter, suddenly, people I didn't know, and all this is new in that day. Like, it's immediately new. (laughs) And there are people on Twitter that were like, kill yourself. And I was like, Whoa! You made people feel things in both directions. Really? Oh, <laughs> kill myself. And I also have never felt, maybe felt, not not just people ingesting my work, but I've never ingested someone else's work and thought you should kill yourself. <laughs> it's just a guy who wrote a song. <laughs> yeah. Kill yourself. 
what if I did? You know, and so like, anyway, so word, you know, like it starts to really pick up steam and these like, again, I've played all these rock and roll shows and people come and people, you know, like the people that the community we built around Sinru, we knew every name, we knew every face and everyone was passionate about it when they, you know, they all knew the words and would sing with us. But like, it was our community. Yeah. And then suddenly, I feel like I'm kind of inside of this routine that I'm building because it was, you know, profitable. You know, like out of the gate, it felt like something I could do to pay rent or yeah. something like that. But suddenly, these local shows are full of strangers. But oh, also, yeah. suddenly, it's, you know, the walls are like people are packed in and it is like, the walls are sweating. Like, people are so excited about it. And, you know what I mean? And so we start touring. And, you know, I'd taken Sinru out of town, and no one's ever there unless you have a, a strong local and you're doing a show swap. Yeah. Suddenly, you're taking this Harry Potter thing. A Harry Potter town. rap group on the road, and, and it's already got a built-in audience. Everyone's there, it's you know? Crazy. And you start meeting these people who are a part of this um, lifestyle. You know, I, I got interviewed by a lady once who... who at, as in her life identifies as um as the character of Tonks. And and what? It, it, there's this character in the books called I guess I can't remember first name. And she identifies Tonks. as Tonks. She yeah. identifies as this character and she, uh-huh. to the point where she had found someone on a message board who identified as Tonks' husband from the books and they got married. You're kidding me. These people it's a it Holy is a shit. And so I suddenly <laughs> find myself at the cross section, I mean, because we we were ending up in kind of some predictable scenarios like fantasy conventions and things yeah. like that, where yeah. I felt like a total imposter, and also would find ourselves booked on because, like, I you know, at my core, I'm a songwriter, and at my core, like everything I do, even if it's this stupid thing, I want it to be good, yeah. you know. And with this, yeah. I thought the ultimate punchline with this, you know. It seems like you know what the joke here is. The joke is going to be it's like goofy, goofy rappers rapping about magic or whatever, and like that's going to be the punchline. But once, like, even after those first couple of shows, I was like, what if people came for that punchline and then it was amazing? Right. Like, what if the rapping was amazing? Which I think it is. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, what if the beats were professional level? Mm-hmm. You know, we make them ourselves and. You know, like, wouldn't that be the real comedy if, mm-hmm. you know, like... If the joke was on you. If the joke was on you, yeah. And so, I, you know, I tried to spend a lot of time becoming a great songwriter in that way, in, in that realm, and, and becoming a physically becoming... Because rapping is like a physical experience, you know, for your brain and for your mouth, you know, and you have to work on it. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, you know, like, I had to get proficient pretty fast. And it was... You want to talk about like imposter syndrome though. Yeah, I mean somewhere between these fantasy conventions and then once the, you know, people would hear the music and the music was you know, I think we did a great job making it sound legitimate mm-hmm. and we would end up on these rap bills and so these rap bills when we were surrounded by real dudes, yeah. you know, like these these the beats that we were chasing, you know, and the yeah. abilities that we were chasing and these guys are in it all day, every day, mm-hmm. you know, like no bullshit. Right. And so, I mean, I always felt really fortunate that 
we were kind of welcomed into those scenes for That's the most good. part. There were some, I mean, there were some people in the fantasy scene that were pretty nasty to us. And then, of course, there were also, you know, I would occasionally we'd be going into a market with a lot of rappers and we would catch a lot of DMs from other like local rappers' girlfriends being like, kill yourself or like, <laughs> because they feel like uh, you're on their turf. Well, yeah, people are going to come to our show. And it's yeah. like people were coming to our shows at the time and it was making some rappers angry because. And that was a thing that I could understand because you could understand. I could understand yeah. it because if you're in it all day, every day, and then somebody just picks up the thing you do and just kind of goofs their way into a big crowd, the big crowd that you want, that's frustrating. Sure. You know? And so as often, you know, as in, and, and, you know, I tried to help when I could, you know, we, you know, we of course became friends with tons of rappers and became friends with, you know, People in the even in the fantasy scene too, and we tried to because all those years in rock and roll, you learn how to put up a flyer, you know, you yeah. learn how to shake a hand, yeah. and you learn how to make people feel welcome, you know, and and so we kind of the people that we would become friends with who seemed frustrated because they would go do these shows and nobody would show up. We try to be like, here's how we do it, you know, like here's how we would do it if it was a band, you know, and and try to just try to kind of bridge the processes a little yeah. bit because they would you know these are the people that who were informing our beat making these are the people who I was learning how to you know how to slam syllables together and things like that and so but for the most part yeah I mean people were pretty cool about it I you know like I could see I always expected every show to be the one where I got like hit with a glass bottle or something because it's like you got two things people are that passionate about that, you know, there's always like, I had to keep going because I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a better option professionally. You know, this was a big moment. It was paying you it was, and, you're on, and you're on the road and yeah. you were getting to do the thing that you love. Yeah. I mean, I always resented it a little bit because it wasn't really the thing that I loved. You, you just know, kind like, of backed into yeah, it. <laughs> I mean, I was making a bunch of songs that were, you know, like made me feel like an imposter, you know, like I've written a million songs, but these are the ones. <laughs> but instead, yeah. these are the ones people want to hear. These are the ones, that yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, you can you can like pour out your heart a million times, but then what people want to hear is like, do the one about you know whatever like Dumbledore Kush exactly. is always the one I yell out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that was such a weird experience too. Like that. That's such a good vignette for the and and. But yeah, but the, the, in the end of it all, you know, I had five years of my life vanished. You know, and not in a bad way, but it was once. It we, was the little iffy era. It was, and it was light speed. Like really? every single thing led straight into the next thing. Wow. And it was just, you know, just, it felt like it really, like I always talk about like falling down the steps and like you fall until you stop falling. You sure. know, and, and it was like, it, it you know, it, it leads to kind of an identity malfunction. Really? You know, because I really like, when it comes to writing songs, I do have a lot of self, like I have a lot of self-respect. You know, I feel like I have put in a lot of effort to be a great, like a great source of musical ideas and things like that. And, 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 you know, when the, again, when the thing, when the thing, and I'm, I'm super grateful that people love those songs. They love them today. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll do the show and, and people have a great time today, yeah. but it's like, it's difficult when you have all you know this this represents five percent of your songs you know but it represents ninety percent of public opinion exactly right yeah. and that's you know like 
or ninety percent of your reputation. Uh, yeah, the yeah. reputation and 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 what would be your legacy? You know, like yeah. you know, we um. So so the well, you um, moved on from it, right? I mean, it felt like there was a hard stop there. There, I had to, you yeah. know, like I uh, there there was a point there where I was like, it's. I mean. It's ironic now because we have done a couple of little reunion shows, but I was, you know, I'm 35 at that point, and I was like, I do not want to be a 40 year old rapper, you right. know, like, it, no, and that's nothing against 40 year old rappers, but for me, I'm, you know, there are phases of life, there are seasons of life, sure. and this one, I'm not making the progress I could be making on when I'm dying, you know, when I look back at all the music I made, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I get out the music that I mean to make, right. you know? And so spinning my wheels in order to pay rent, you know, it's like, wouldn't it be better, you know, at that point, you have to think like, what else am I trying to prove with this? You know, I, the success of this thing, you know, like we have, we have touched people and, and we have met all these people, but at a point, how much time am I willing to risk on this? Yeah, um, and 30 to 35 is a big, that's a big time in, in your life to really establish yourself. It's true. Um, you're out of your twenties. You're you're kind of you're who you're going to be. You are for an the adult. Most, yeah, you're an adult, yeah. and you got to act like one. Yeah. And so, what you do in you know the decade of your thirties is important. And, and you spent half of it doing iffy, right? Yeah. And and, and only that. And only know? iffy. Yeah. Yeah. So so then you you said let's let's make the music I want to make now. Like I've, yeah. I've done the I've done the part of it that. Well, know, that felt money. unhealthy. That really? was the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't even like a, a like a a roar back. You know, a roar back to Sinru, like a roar back to, you know, I felt mentally unwell, you yeah. know, just because you do, I mean, every time I go up to do one of those shows, you know, I just tried to approach it with gratitude, you know, and, you know, and, and, and understanding that a lot of people wish that they, you know, like could have a little like rocket ride. And so it's not, it's not like we were playing arenas, but we, People were there every night, yeah. you know, and that's, oh, you know, that's the dream. Really, I would have, I would have loved to have had that for Sinru. You know, yeah. I would have loved to have had that, but even with that gratitude, you're, for me, anyways, like I'm at a point there, just really kind of bleeding self respect because it was like, I'm not it making felt that cheap? music. Is it, that- it's not that it felt even cheap. It just that it, you know, it felt like. Uh, I should be doing something like it felt like I, there, I can do other things, you know. Like I can. It's not eat. a good use. It's not a, a good maximization of your efforts. Yeah, I guess it's like personality. it could have just kept going and going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like because it was the easy thing that was art me, that was happening. It was the thing that was happening, you yeah. know. And it's you know, at a point there again, like I'm not playing arenas with it, you know. Sure. And I'm, you're not. I'm not making a million dollars and just paying rent, but it's like. I need at a point there it was like I I need to be able to like look in the mirror and be like completely aware of who I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm cool with it. I'm making a lot of decisions based on what I think will make people happy. Yeah. And I'm not very happy. You know, you're the one who's be who's not getting what they want out of this. Well, yeah, well, right? I'm vanishing. You know, like well, I'm a I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. And so it's really easy. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I got probably pretty addicted to the satisfaction of pleasing people with little iffy and 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 what was happening is these other things that i actually do feel i'm um, passionate about and that i do feel purpose in 
are dying and I'm losing time and I'm getting like when you're you're touring that much and 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 worrying about bothering people with it you know like people are always really excited about it right. but to me it's like it's so, it was so you know if it's something that's going to make someone tell you to kill yourself <laughs> every night you're getting on a stage and you know that if you're if there are two people at your show one of these two people standing right in front of you might wish you were dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the stress yeah, of that heavy. makes you really old. That's you know? heavy. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, is that... It, so Probably don't actually wish that you were dead, but this is... We're entering into the age of rage at that point. And <laughs> yeah. like... Yeah. This is how people are expressing themselves <laughs> by telling people to open the veins of, yeah, you know, on like, Twitter. <laughs> immediately. Yeah, in real exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. At the show, probably still. Mm-hmm. Is that when Peak started? Was after the after you slowed down with Iffy? Yeah, well, I t- once Iffy stopped, I just had to kind of re like I had to get recentered, and um, I really just kind of had to find my legs again. Yeah, uh, not just creatively. I really I felt really crazy at the end of Iffy, and I've had a really hard time because I kind of reassembling the person, right? You know, because it was you know like you're coming into your thirties, and then instead of carrying this trajectory that I was kind of on, you know. With Senryu coming or, in, or yeah. whatever, yeah. you know, just as a person becoming a thirty-something and 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 just going through life, you know, doglegging into this rocket ride, which was like it was all so good, but it was also just an alien experience. Right, and then suddenly, boom, you're thirty. Now you're thirty. Like you're turning thirty. Now you're thirty-six. You know, and and you <laughs> and your body is taxed by the touring, and your bo- your mind is taxed by all of the like the dynamics of the social response and everything and you know, like everything that happens to you is sort of dictated oh, by people loving you and yeah. hating you. And yeah. so nobody just felt a little bit. And so it ages you. And so, so, so that, that to me is what is, is kind of powerful about what, what you did there is that you, you made people feel things so strongly in two polar directions. Yeah. That's winning. I feel like as an artist, I mean, I mean yeah, if it's your art, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like if if you know if if I'm out here writing if I write like a like a piece for like string quartet or something and people are like it's trash it's it's genius it's trash and people yeah. are arguing about it. then as an artist because that's what I feel like yeah that's my media like yeah, I feel like start that's a conversation now I feel like that's winning yeah but when you feel like that person who you know like when I went to college I wanted to write big beautiful like music for orchestras and things like that and. When the social response that you hope for as an artist instead is coming because you were like, oh, trolls in the dungeon, you know, like when it's like a rap song about trolls instead and people are having these like wild public displays of a – it is the response I feel like the the, – a true artist maybe wants from the people consuming their work. But when it's, you know, when it's a little iffy instead of your string quartet – it's a wild, it's a wild experience. <laughs> well, so you've done some of that. I listen to Salt Mass. Yeah, no, no, and that's the thing. Yeah, I, I come out of Iffy, and you know, I do. You know, once I start to reassemble a person and kind of figure out who I, who is a thirty-six-year-old, you know, will write that isn't, you know, consumed by this, um, this little Iffy experience, you know, and and so. 
in the wake of that, you do have this this big audience that wants to come and support you and things like that. And so your side project, yeah, oh, <laughs> your new oh, thing, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That was that one of the most heartbreaking moments. Um, and it's not like a cru- um, a cruel a cruelty, but it was a moment there where I realized, you know, how strange things had gotten because you know I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs for Sinru and and. And with Sinru, it's like that was the nucleus of my life, and that was my identity, and it's you know that's something I'm really like, proud of and passionate about. And um, coming out of the um, of Ify and trying to get Sinru back up to speed again, we had gotten a random, and this is such a wild, this is a probably an hour conversation by itself, but um, China Brackeen, who had um, had helped out with Ify, continued to kind of. Um, Helped me with opportunities after that. And she called me one day before a Sinru rehearsal. It was a Sunday, and I was on my way over to Sinru rehearsal. And she said, uh, Hey, um, are you free to do a show tonight? And I said, Yeah, I think so. Um, I have to talk to the guys. And she was like, Okay, because the, the insane clown posse are in town and um, they need an opener. And I was like, Sinru? And she was like, Yeah, she, no. because I wasn't doing iffy, of course. And, and I was like, and I was like, okay, you know, like, let me talk to him about it. And so I went to practice and I was like, I don't really understand what's happening, but this is, ha- I mean, this is on the table. We'll be, you know, we'll be in front of a lot of people, but they also do have a, um, a reputation for being really, really bad to opening acts for yeah. ICP. And uh, I, you know, like I had seen them years and years before and they had had kind of a metal band open for them. So I guess it, it like, it, it made sense that, something crazy and weird before them made more sense than to just make their audience sit through another rapper or something. But, um, so we went and, you know, I walk out on stage, it's this room full of furious clowns and, um, so Sinryu opens for oh, Insane Clown Posse? Right, so we come on out. On a whim? Uh, just on a whim, yeah, at the concourse. Or the uh, the big one, the... Um, yeah, the Valerium? It's the, the, it's the Valerium room, whatever the big one's called. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I, uh, we come out on stage and I was like, look, <laughs> with all these clowns, I was like, I know you didn't expect to see me today and I didn't expect to see you today, but <laughs> I feel like this is really cool and maybe you might feel like it's cool too <laughs> because this is a big surprise. And they were totally sweet to us. And so, yeah, we played, I mean, we played a really aggressive, like party punk kind of set. Yeah. And I've heard the Juggalos are good folks. Well, it depends. <laughs> like, yeah, they've thrown, I mean, like, Tila Tequila went up and played the gathering, got like cinder blocks <laughs> thrown at her. And she's a tiny little woman. Cinder blocks. But, um, the first MySpace star. Oh, my God. <laughs> RIP. But, um, anyway, so we, uh, this was, this must have been a, maybe a year af- after Iffy or whatever, but, we play this, this insane clown posse show, and we're you know we're leaving afterwards, and these people come up, um, and they were like, "Aren't you're a little iffy, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's true." And and they were like, "I told you," and they were like, "We didn't even know that if he had started a punk band or whatever." And I was like, "Oh my god, no, no!" It's like you have this all backwards. I fucked up everything. Everything is wrong. Yeah, every. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was just so heartbreaking to me the idea that it had been like that. This is not the side project. This is the thing. This is the thing. Yeah. They were sweet though. I mean, everyone was sweet yeah. about it, but I was I realized how exactly how jumbled up things had gone. But sure. anyways, yeah. So Matt Matt Honkin and I had always done the social dance where we're you know oh we should uh, 
We should, we should work together. Oh, yeah. we got to work on something yeah, together sometime. Yeah, he said you uh, called his bluff or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was like, you know what? Yeah, we should. Yeah. And then, and then one day you like show up, and then uh, it just turned out, you know, I couldn't have known. You know, we really were just kind of guys, guys in bands that played together from time to time, but had had no social relationship. And uh, yeah, over like a. We were doing big ears. We were recording. We we're archiving big ears um, every year. We yeah. He told me about that. It's a really cool gig, but yeah. um, we both loved Sun, and they were playing the Tennessee Theater. And so, um, one of the glamorous parts of the archiving gig is that you get to be in the room. Sometimes yeah. just you and them during the sound check. Oh, that's cool. And so, if this is Sun in the Tennessee Theater, and we could like, if it was just us and them and their sound guy in there, so we went and got some ramen. At Sutri's, yeah, and we went best in town. Oh man, it's so good! But we uh, we um, got some noodles and went over and sat through this like pummeling sound check by this band. And by the end of that experience, I felt like we were like best friends, and we have we've we and it's never faded. Like it, it was one of those natural things. And so Peak Physique came together fast, and like it was another one of those things. Like Peak Physique to me. That was the version of the iffy experience that I could live with because I felt like right. I was being a songwriter. Yeah. And a lot of the things that I had learned about beats and just about satisfying people because Sinry was never necessarily about satisfying people. That was just about me like getting my demons out. But like learning how to satisfy people in a way that still felt like art to me or learning to satisfy people in a way that was a, for me just um, that I'm able to to look at with the lights on, yeah. you know, and just not feel like it's all just one big marketing campaign. And so, like, I love playing, I love writing those songs. I love just, that That was such a, a an exercise. I mean, we're still doing it, of course, but it is such an, it is a an illustration of our friendship. You know, every every piece of, cool. of peak physique is is sort of a tribute and like a love letter to that that chemistry. And because you know, like he like hand programs the light. We like run our own lights, and it's just like the it's lights and the beats by, by you guys. And yeah. that's it, right? Right down to like the, the the atomic level. And that to me. So when I when I listen, you know, and right around the time that band started, he introduced me to my wife. And so like this band also serves as this timeline of Mm -hmm. just this incredible upshift, you know, and, and really peak physique and, and meeting my wife. Those were the things that kind of saved me coming out of the, the darkness, like the, cause if he, like if he was such a positive thing in so many ways, but internally it was just, a really kind of lost dark it was like a lost person at the end of it. I had no idea what was gonna happen to me because that thing had taken the wheel. Yeah. And had just just kind of scattered all the pieces. Yeah. And oh, man. and so Peak Physique and Peak Physique really helped me get, you know, Sinru just kind of like get my mind back into to it that good space, you know, and Again, yeah, just Matt and yeah, Matt and Twin just kind of dragged me right out of the, the darkness and 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 really kind of saved. Like, I don't want to, I won't, don't want to dramatically say no, like save my life, life, but like whatever. Like all, I feel like I've done the best things I've ever done since those two kind of stepped in and and pulled me out of where I was, and and I really like 
I think about it every day. You know. Well, you know, man, you've got the the five years of you know in your early thirties to look at, and and it has this like emblem to you. But you know, these last few years with with Peak and meeting Twin at the same time. I mean, that's all going to kind of be it's it's so magic. It's era. Yeah, it is. But all you know, at the end of it all, yeah, you also have to understand. You know, like, and when I say you, I mean me. Like that, if I don't do those five years. There probably is an auto peak physique, sure. you know. Yeah, you <laughs> needed it, to realize there was something you need to come out of. Yeah, there, realize there need there was something better. That's what the new age the new agers say is the only way past it is through it. Yeah, and like <laughs> if you're going through hell, keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the greatest yeah. greatest quotes ever. Yeah. Uh, what but, about uh? So you got to realize the the orchestra thing, right? So you've actually yeah. been composing for. For orchestra, is that right? That's true. I read something. Yeah, I, um, well, yeah, I, uh, coming out of Iffy also made me somewhat fatalistic. And so I have, you know, in the wake of it, sort of insisted on doing, you know, I, I always just kind of imagine when I, when it's the end and I'm, I have to quickly take inventory of my life, I don't want to, you know, like anything that I was really, passionately interested in creating i'm going to do it and i want to do it now you know and, awesome. and and i get real obsessed with these things yeah and so after the last yeah i guess after the last peak physique album came out i just really sort of you know and, and twin is really good also just about your wife yeah my wife We've twin mentioned yeah. her name a few times now i guess <laughs> yeah. we better introduce her right yeah. she um to just like kick me between the shoulder blades and be like, do what, like go do, you know, <laughs> and like, and do it all. What a know? partner, man. That's what you want. She's a, a powerhouse, you yeah. know, and she is too, you know, like she's doing it. She's doing exactly what she set out to do, mm-hmm. you know, and she's doing it at an extreme level. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she is a, a, not like a good designer. She's like, she is like a passionate you know, like she's, you know, she lives she, it, man. Right. She's not doing this so that she can go home and do this other yeah. artwork mm-hmm. necessarily. You know what I mean? Like she, she is a true, a true artist and mm-hmm. she does it and she's not fluffy about it. You know, she's not mm-hmm. precious about it. She's like, I'm, I'm every day. Yeah. She, she kind of drives me because I, I mean, you know, like, am, can be pretty precious about my stuff. <laughs> and so, um, no, and she just, you know, like I said, she just kind of kicks me into it, especially when I start to kind of get, Create creatively lost or whatever, and so she. Uh, anyways, so got you writing. Yeah, I mean, well, after those last Pig Physique record, I just started trying to figure out the inroads because you know you go all the way back to UT, and I I set out to write this contemporary <laughs> classical music, yeah. and that's what got me through yeah. the Sinu part, <laughs> through the Iffy piece, through the Pig Physique piece, and now we're back yeah. to where we started. And I'm like, how do you do it? Because if I had done it then, if I had just gone to class and done it then, I probably would have been, I mean, my life would be completely different, but I would have done what I started out to do. Oh, and so now amazing. I'm old, and I'm not in the that scene. And so I got to kind of build it, you know? And so I start, you know... I kind of hit up people who I still was friends with from school just to kind of ask questions. And then, I, you know, over the years making Sinru records, we occasionally would have, you know, classical musicians come in and play. And so I'd reach out and just be like, tell me what to do. And so I start 
finding people who will let me write for them, sometimes the soloists and things like that. And I ended up in a couple of residencies. You know, I started doing a um, a residency with a wind quintet called Chinazi Winds. And really, I'm just, everything I do becomes like the new bar, you know, because I, I am learning everything I do. It's not like I went to school and now I've got all these pieces of, you know, like I've got all these tools on the tool belt and now I go and use use them one at a time. Every single thing I do right now, and that's it's such a like electric way to create because everything is the new high score, you know. Like and <laughs> and so I like you know I'll go and find always trying to beat your beat your last high score. Oh yeah, but you're right. You know, like it's like when you start the game and nobody's been on this machine yet. You got a hundred points. <laughs> that's the high score, bro. Oh, you figured out what something else. Now it's a hundred and fifty. Like now it's the high score, and so suddenly. Every little thing you learn is this exciting new foothold, you know? And so, you know, I'll write a piece for this cello player and, and I learn all this stuff in the process. And Hell like yeah. suddenly there's, you know, now I know how to do that. And so I go to like a duet. And so, and so you know, I had spent all this time with the, the wind quintet. And then I, you know, I got a residency with a theater group writing suddenly I'm like composed for these plays, you know, and everything I do kind of sets a new fire, you know, and then everybody I meet, you know, it just feels so magical and kind of so like in the moment because every, like I start working with these people and every person is like, this was such a great experience. And they kind of open up this next person. They're like, you should work with them. Fast forward, you know, fast forward so to now. So did this snowball into just a big... Uh, I'm in the snowball right now. Like, I feel like yeah, the, the snowball has just started, I think. And and and, and this these are the steps I want to fall down. Awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, I mean, finally. It feels, it feels, you know, and in a lot of ways, you know, and I'm composing for film too. And the film thing is kind of the same way. It just kind of one person pops up and I have a project and I'll just, whatever, you know, I'm not... I just write, I'll write for free for for whoever wants it. Because right. now this is, you know, it starts to feel like it's got a purpose. Yeah. And, uh, and then the next thing you know, it's like a, a longer film project. And then last year I did my first feature film. You know, it's just oh, like shit. bang, bang, bang. What was that called? This World Alone. Okay. And, uh, and that's one of those things, you know, a guy that I knew from touring, you know, 15 years ago, we became fast friends. And we, he grew up as a filmmaker while I grew up as a musician. And now... I'm a composer and he's like making features. And so ah, that's super cool. You know, he, you know, he asked, you know, it was my bachelor weekend or whatever. I was like <laughs> champagne drunk in a lake. <laughs> and he like looked over the edge of the boat and he was like, I finally get to make my movie and I want you to score it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I must be very drunk <laughs> because it sounded like you just asked me to score a feature film, you know? And, um, and you did it and I did it. And it's, won a bunch of festivals and we go and it feels real, you know, and it feels, and again, like it doesn't happen this way without that, the iffy piece, you yeah. know? And yeah. so, and it's, it's the necessary part of it. It's part of it. Yeah. But, uh, and so, yeah, I'll fast forward and fast forward and, well, I, what what do you like? What do you, what's the latest thing that I read about? Yeah. What's that? That's the thing. It's a, a bunch of these people that I, I guess I would write Seven for, eight. they all, yeah, they've all kind of led me the same direction to this. It's like the community. It's, it's like a, it's, they call it the other orchestra. So there's a KSO, okay. but then there's this other one that's oh. kind of a really, like a really well kept secret called oh, the Scruffy cool. City Orchestra. 
and they do they operate out of the the cathedral over on uh north shore yeah and uh that's i reached out to him and i basically was like i'm me like here's some pieces of my chamber music and stuff like that um yeah i was just like i don't know if this is i don't know if this is something that you uh would consider but i'd really you know i i feel like i'm ready to write my first piece for a for orchestra and i would like it to be you guys and they didn't they didn't respond and then i looked at the picture of the group on the internet and realized all of these individual people that i had reached out to to write pieces of music for <laughs> there they are you know ah, and ah. so i reached out and i was like can you please tell the orchestra directors that I'm not just some random asshole from this the internet? This is not spam. Yeah. And so they did, and then the people wrote me back, and and it's happening. It's like a premiering what? May 1st. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a I will call it a tone poem. So it's a, it's like a one, one movement, 10-minute piece. Um, it's called Childhood is the Kingdom Where Nobody Dies, and, uh, which is a title borrowed from... Uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay. But um Where is it? Is it it's good? at Sacred Heart Cathedral, May the May the first. And um what time do you know? I wanna Not say yet. that eight o'clock, but I'll have to um I would say to visit Scruffy City Orchestra on the internet and uh Find it. it'll be on there. But can I come? Yeah, I, I I don't even know if there are tickets. I think you can people can just, just show come. Up. Yeah. Okay. But uh that sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean, these uh, we just started rehearsals for the session, and it's you know, I, again, I am so fatalistic these days, and I'm a I'm a dad now, and so that also <laughs> makes you really fatalistic. Yeah. But you know, I I just can't help like all these things that we've been talking about. You know, they, you know, I go in and watch these uh, these rehearsals, and they're not even always my piece. You know, they're doing two symphonic other symphonic pieces that are much longer than mine too you know and a real like real stuff but going in there and like all the anxiety you know from those rap shows and feeling like a I always tell twin I sometimes I feel like a like a thing looking out of like a like a meat case <laughs> and I'm like the I feel like inside my body and things are just kind of happening around me I don't really have any relationship to the world around me right and kind of suddenly feeling like i'm where i'm supposed to be you know and i feel like it feels under control and and i'm happy for you man that's awesome it's yeah it's just like that's peace it's overwhelming you know it's it is it it is you know and i uh yeah, and the piece, you know, the piece is kind of a family story you know i wanted i wanted i knew i wanted the piece to be uh kind of narrative the tone poems you know the that format for for orchestral music or for contemporary classical music it's just supposed to follow a story basically it's like a one movement piece for orchestra or chamber group or whatever that maybe follows a poem or follows a a narrative and you tell it kind of with the music and so like in 2019, yeah, I mentioned being raised by my grandmother and her sister. Her sister, my great aunt, was just kind of like my person my whole life. Yeah. And so she had a big stroke in April last year. And, and I'm sorry. Uh, and so um, I had already, you know, I'd already been in discussions about the piece with the orchestra. And so I had talked to her and I'd 
had kind of had this idea. She was 98. And so um, their dad was this badass um, and kind of a, kind of a villain. Uh, I mean, in a, not a villain as much as like an anti-hero. He was this, they lived in this coal camp and, and it's like right before the great depression and nobody has any money, of course. And it's, you know, it's just the grittiest, like hardest life for these, the dads and the moms, you know, and, uh, and he's the butcher, you know, like he works in the <laughs> middle of the camp and like the, you know, the company gives these miners who are all dying. Yeah. They're dying. They're yeah. like black lung and abject poverty. And they come out of the hole in the ground and the, you know, they can go to the store and whatever. And this guy spends all these like blood and black dust and like grit, you know, but then like he has these 12 kids <laughs> and these kids think that they live in like fairyland. You know, like, so this, like, generation. perspective. Oh, bro. These, like, this generation of miners and workers that not only, and that's what I, I mean, one of the great lessons, I mean, the greatest lessons about being a parent, you know, is you've got two jobs, which is to, like, protect these, in these vulnerable kids you know these kids yeah. you have to completely protect them and also they cannot know you're protecting them <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> cannot they, be meta right they need to feel like they live in la la yeah. land you know yeah. what i mean because this is their only chance mm-hmm. and and so multiplying that pressure by a million because we're talking about like the 20s yeah you know and we're heading into wars and we're heading into like literally the capital great capital depression and um you know these are the people these are the the people who th- that raised me and they would talk about you know the older I get the more I think about what where they actually were you know and these kids just like they loved they had the most magical childhood and they lived in the middle of like the the most devastatingly poor struggling surrounded by death you know and and they grew into these like soldiers and then phenomenal parents and like you know like Ruthie she's the she's the my person you know and yeah. and um she was like a hands-on contributor to like the Manhattan project like big stuff you know these kids literally grew out of the blood and the coal dust and and went one was on Normandy, like the real Normandy. And one, you know, like one was in like South Pacific theater and like real combat. And then there's, you know, they just, they all went out from, from nothing. And they interfaced with a hundred years of like epic human progress, you know, and they saw the whole planet, you know, and, and it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. And it feels like this, like, and I feel like people could relate. I'm like, this is Appalachia, you know, like, Yes. At that generation, yes. they were underground, yeah. you know? Yeah, and so originally this, you know, this uh, this piece was going to be called like a butcher's dream or whatever. Oh, and uh, yeah. yeah, and so I start, like I was just really just in the sketch phase with it when she had a massive stroke in April. And so I spent, you know, I would, and I, you know, like I took care of her more or less the last 15 years. I like, I mean, yeah, she raised her siblings and my mother and me. And so like, it was an easy decision, but you know, her, her wellness was sort of 
dictated a lot of my personal life right. through all like through a lot of really busy professional time. Yeah. I was just behind the scenes. It was just kind of a you know kind of a twenty four seven grind to just make sure that she was happy and you know taken care of. She took care of you, right? Yeah, you have to. I've, I don't understand people that don't take care of their people. Yeah, but it was it's it's the highest honor. It but is. Uh, anyway, so she um. I ended up in writing most of you know most of the piece in the hospitals you know and uh, yeah but it was you know I you know suddenly you know I think Hurst because she was the last one of all of them they are all gone except her and so uh, her stroke and her decline kind of blasted me with this the perspective you know the the incredible journey of these kids you know and 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 in the butcher you know in the miners you know that's you do what you have to do for your children you know and that is its own there it that is its own nobility you know and 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 uh that is its own its own kind of special but yeah suddenly i yeah i suddenly i had all this gratitude you have to be the person they trusted with these stories you know this that this this 20th century experience by these chi- these children that grew up and out and all the way all the way around you know and to be suddenly you know and then and then here i you know, here i am in these hospitals and i'm the audience for the the end of the story you know and feel uh, a responsibility to to tell it capture it and i wanted right. to catch it right you know, like, of course, it's, you know, I mean, and, you know, we lost her one month ago. And sorry, uh, she man. stuck it out. Um, yeah, like, the, sorry, the day man. of her stroke, they said, you know, that they clearly didn't understand her or any of her brothers and sisters. Because in April, the day of her stroke, the doctors were like, she's probably got today. And I was like, you clearly haven't met her. <laughs> and she stuck it out for almost a year. Yeah. And just tough and ah, amazing. Awesome. She's tough and amazing. And uh it at that point, you know, it because I did consult her some and, and I got her to really tell the stories when I thought I was gonna be writing about her dad, mm-hmm. their dad. Yeah. And when, you know, when I realized, you know, the the reason I'm writing this piece now is because this is the moment, you know, like this is the grand finale of an incredible story and uh and it is my responsibility and my privilege to to catch it as much as it hurts like it's important and it's again like i feel like it's such an appalachian story and you know all of this this you know all of these generations of of us came from these people that really like really went through a sprawling century you know and yeah, and so I just wrote it. I, you know, like I'll, like I'll never hear the notes of this piece and not, you know, n- and not be in those hallways. But also, you know, they not, you know, they were so good when I was a kid about taking me and showing me the coal camp and showing yeah. me all these to just to make Where sure that I from. knew mm-hmm. how it all because it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, like all of it is a, it's a, it is a big deal. Like, and so. After all that, you know, to get here to this contemporary classical space and to hear 
all those ideas and all of that history and all of that family, like all of that personal information coming out of, you know, 60 players, you know, in a chamber, in, a, in, in one of the most beautiful cathedrals <laughs> you've ever seen. It's a dream scenario. You know, it's, it's awesome, man. It, you know, and it's, I, I am so like, it makes, thinking about it makes me fidgety, you know, because it, you know, like, <laughs> it's one of those things you, it's a dream, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's a dream scenario and it's, you know, from space, it might be, you're just some local guy in a community orchestra, but to me, and like in this, it, you know, looking at my body, it's the it's the biggest thing that ever happened, you know. And it's and it's and, you know, and and it's That's one thing. Awesome. It's one thing to write, you know, like it's one thing to write about these things that mean so much, but getting their story onto the page and then getting the page in front of an actual orchestra and having it premiered in a place like the Sacred Heart Cathedral is, you don't get that, you know, like it's, it's, it's an, it's an unimaginable opportunity and I'm so grateful, you know, I'm excited to see it, man. And I appreciate you coming and spilling it all, man. Thank you you so much. I appreciate you. Well, if that's not fascinating, I don't know what is. Appreciate him coming and sitting down with me for an hour and some change. Guys, catch up with me on Instagram at South of Scruffy. I told you about the merch earlier. Um, I'm going to give away some t-shirts to anybody who sends me an email. First five of you that send me an email with your size, I'll, I'll send you a t-shirt. All right. That's uh, uh, South of Scruffy at gmail.com. Hit me up there and I will get one in your hot little hand. Guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys. Thanks for turning out and continuing to listen. Keep up the good work. All right. Latest.